0: Welcome back to the Secret Story Podcast. Here's our theme music. So how are you, James?
1: I, i'm I'm fine. Basically, I, I've just kind of become a small bug inside a small shell of just my family and the the couple square feet around our place because Heather has like she has a literal respiratory problem. So we any kind of large scale demonstrations or like that that would have want have gone to or something like that we just haven't done. Uh, and yeah. we've just been kind of keeping things extremely controlled.
0: Yeah, I myself did not make it out to any demonstrations. It is a wonderful thing that, as so many things have changed and so much has gone on in the world, but we've had our own reasons for not actually getting out to them. Although I think it would be wonderful if our kids could have looked back and said, "Oh, I was there. I was part of that." But just for the ages of our kids, it is a hard decision to take your kids out there and be part of it. But I would certainly love to be out there right now. It is an inspiring time. It is it's a sad time in some ways. It is a hopeful time in some ways. Black Lives Matter. It's so fantastic that all this is going on.
1: Yes, and I'm really looking forward to true social change after a long time of stagnancy.
0: Well, we should go ahead and do our episode, although it's everything people are talking about other than what's going on seems a little frivolous right now, but we have our Podcast, and we should get to it. So, we actually have it would be awkward for us to go ahead and talk about anything other than what's going on, but we actually have an episode that is in the can from before any of this happened that we have never released because partially because of everything that's been going on. And we did not want to distract from that conversation, but it's getting old, it's getting musty. We've got a month old episode, and it's a good episode, and I think we should go ahead and release it. But let's go ahead and play that audio from a month ago now. So, I hate to do this to you, America. But you have sat down, you have looked at whatever the size of this file is, I have no idea how long this episode is going to end up being, and you're like, Ugh, do I really have that much time to devote to this podcast? Well, I've got terrible news for you, because really, if you want to get the most out of this episode, you need to pause it right now and go spend a whopping hour and a half watching a, I was going to say YouTube video, it's not on YouTube, it's on Vimeo, uh, or on pandemonium.com, is that what it's called? Yeah. Um Yeah. But if you just go to Google and you search for, well, even this will be hard to do because it's hard to spell, aren't endings. A R N D T. Michael Arndt, uh, Oscar winning screenwriter, wrote What of Sunshine, Toy Story 3, and was one of the writers on The Force Awakens. He has a video on how to write endings.
1: And it was and, it, it, recommended to us by Jonathan Oxier, uh, old uh, uh, friend of the show. And I watched it, and I found it very compelling. This video, and like many compelling things, falsely wise.
0: Yeah. So well. So what I was saying is, if you really want to get the most out of this episode, pause right here, go watch that ninety-minute video. It is worth it. If you find this to be valuable, if you find this to be a valuable podcast, you will find that to be a valuable video. It's. If you like that, if you like us, you'll like that, and you'll get more out of this episode if you watch it first, but we'll also summarize it. So if you don't feel like pausing and watching it, that's fine, and we'll get you caught up. So uh, do you want to summarize it, or should I, or what? So I think what Arndt is doing is, on the one hand, he's doing what everybody does, going like, hey, everybody, here's what I've learned in the business, and here's my idea of structure, because everybody has their own idea of structure. And, you know, you really can't be a writer until you've thrown out everybody else's structure and come up with your own idea of what structure is. So, yeah, Dan, of course, you need to. And then you need to share that with the world. Like, hey, everybody hears how to structure. Like, no, no, no. If, if anybody accepted anybody else's structure, then you never would have come up with your own. So it's a pointless, futile gesture to try to share your structure with the world. But so he has come up with a really good structure. And what makes his structure particularly compelling is it's all about creating what he calls an insanely great ending. And it's all about how you're setting up these various things over the course of the movie. In this case, he's talking about movies and books. He's talking about how you set up these various conflicts. And then each one, he basically talks about how in the third act, in the final quarter of the screenplay, and really just in two minutes, you've got these three types of conflict that all fail. And the hero has this crisis where he fails emotionally He fails externally, and he fails philosophically. He is sort of betrayed in all three ways, and all seems totally lost. And then he has the kamikaze moment of commitment, and suddenly all the three values are reversed again, and everything suddenly becomes wonderful. The hero now succeeds externally, internally, and philosophically, preferably all at the same time. And that's how you create an insanely great ending. And how you create a meaning blending. He talks a lot about meaning. And I think he makes a very strong point. I generally believe in what he's saying. I have concerns with it. There's things I think he is exaggerating. Or there's ways in which what he's saying can lead you astray. But I generally believe in what he's saying. How about you, James?
1: Yeah, I found it very illuminating to watch this video. However, this video came to me at the exact right time. And the wrong time, in a way. Because there's this novel that I've been working on. And which I found that I had to revise the climax. And so this thing about insanely great endings came at just the right time. And so then I had to take very seriously this advice, not as an intellectual exercise, but as a particular toolkit, I decided, I said, okay, well, this this guy knows what he's doing. I, I like Little Miss Sunshine. I like Toy Story 3. Um, and I found the limits of it. And so I kind of yes. want to explain, talk about those limits. And it. I think a lot of the limits are just, in the way that he expresses it i think his broader points are true but the way he expresses it is so misleading that it would lead to bad decisions but um yeah i
0: mean you can't you can't come up with a structure the very nature of saying hey here's a good structure is you end up steamrolling over exceptions and you end up twisting things that aren't exceptions you know twisting everything to fit that you
1: don't want to be but, an exception. But, no but the matt the thing is he the thing, the key said that he based this philosophy of endings on like Star Wars, and that he brought it to, like he applied it in Little Miss Sunshine. And I found when I watched Star Wars and Little Miss Sunshine, what he said was not true. And so, okay, how so? Art says that there are three kinds of stakes for yes. a movie. Okay, and like one of them is the, the stakes that every movie has, which is external, like it's, it's life survival, right? Or it's you know, money, I got, right. I got to get the big score. There's a contest, who's going to win, who's going to lose? Uh, what's my right. status in the world? Any like uh, achievable goal that once it's achieved, it's physically clear that that's been achieved, right? You get a medal around your neck, you get a crown on your head. And then there's a second thing that most movies have, which is internal or emotional. That's like romantic love, or it's a child for a parent, parent for a child, it's self-respect. Um, or, or like a right. friendship between two people, and what he says, and he makes very explicit. I think this is extremely helpful because a lot of times this just gets for other people subsumed under "oh, you got to have right. a good theme." He says, "No,
0: it's it's an excellent video in terms of theme." I think yeah. that you well, know, excellent it's,
1: it's video in terms of Mike, theme is that it dismisses the idea of theme. It makes it more precise in talking about there's philosophical stakes.
0: Right? Right. I mean, he's doing something very similar to what I do in my own book, which is why I like his video. Right, right. Both he and I talk about theme in terms of a clash of values. Yes. In my book, I talk about how the theme usually is not one thing is the moral. It's a clash of two equally good or equally bad values provides the the theme. And especially if it's better, if it's an irreconcilable clash between these two values. He and I somewhat differ on this because he believes that you should reconcile the clash of values but so go on
1: yeah so philosophical is like individual values versus community values or but the thing is like he in his video he shows three examples star wars the graduate and little miss sunshine and star wars is about kind of community values over individual values and the graduate is individual values over community values, right? Right. Or like ideal versus self, but like these broader philosophical things is what's going to give your movie or book or whatever heft and meaning. It's So in order for this climax to succeed, the story has to have the stakes in the beginning. There's external, are we going to blow up the Death Star? Internal, like Luke, saying oh am i just a a simple farm boy or am i made for something bigger and then finally and art says you know most crucially the philosophical state which is like and i feel too what's the larger moral or philosophical conflict like and he says the dominant values versus the underdog values so in star wars like the dominant values are governor tarkin saying we will rule versus fear you know and darth vader trying to get the Information on fear will keep the
0: colonies in line. Yep. Exactly.
1: And, and Darth Vader, you know, trying to, you know, uh, give Princess Leia some shots or blowing up her home planet to get the information out of her versus the underdog values, which is Ben Kenobi saying, hey, we're all connected, man. Uh, right. we have to look out for each other. I like how he says dominant values versus underdog values. It's not a Manichaean idea of two equally weighted things, it's dominant versus underdog. Uh, I think that's Which very is clarifying.
0: different from me. Yes.
1: And so a great ending is the underdog values triumph over the dominant ones. Right. right. Luke's decision to switch off his computer. He uses a force to guide him while he's firing at the Death Star. Han's decision to return and help Luke. The external and internal values are resolved. Rebels win. Luke achieves a personal self-actualization by proving himself. He's a great pilot. There's three sets of values that have to converge onto one point. And they're resolved all together. Art says there's not one climax, there's three climaxes, right? You have to keep those three different climaxes in line. There's the external climax, internal one, the philosophical one. They're logically connected, causally or emotionally, or whatever. They're as close to each other as possible, and then they're in sending order of importance.
0: So in Star Wars, first he puts his targeting computer away, which is an example of resolving his internal conflict. Well, that's then- he, kamikaze, at moment of- kamikaze moment of commitment he puts his targeting computer away and then han crucially comes back so han he does something really interesting where he talks about the antagonist arias oh, and yes. Talk he about talks that. about he talks about what are the antagonist arias in star wars and he says that the crucially the three antagonist arias are uncle owen telling him that oh you know you're just farm boy it's tarkin who he doesn't hear saying we'll keep the the galaxy in line with fear and then he talks about the third antagonist aria comes from han and it's han saying that i don't believe there is such a thing as the force han then later at the three-quarter point has the judas moment of betrayal he rightly i think talks about how the importance of han coming back is first it looks like han was right to leave the battle like oh this battle's losing it's terrible like han was right to leave and we start to feel like oh maybe han was right maybe nobody should have done this attack and then han comes back and then reverses the philosophical stakes and suddenly boom 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 you know he blows up the Death Star that solves the external problem Han he could only do it because Han came back that solves the philosophical debate between himself and Han and the values of truth and love in the universe uh, triumph over the values of fear and everything happens within two minutes he in for each of these three movies he shows just a two minute section of the finale and shows how All three of these values are flipped in that just two minutes, within two minutes of the hero's kamikaze moment of commitment. It's very convincing.
1: Do do you want to talk about that a bit more? Do you want me to kind of go right into what my cavil about it?
0: Let's hear your cavil. Okay.
1: So when I decided to clarify and let you rewrite the climax of my novel, I took this advice very seriously. Right. But then it wasn't working. And I realized I went back to looked at the end of Star Wars and the end of Little Miss Sunshine and the end of The Graduate. And the way that he describes a climax does not feel true to how i experience the climaxes of those movies it's because Sorry, he, but what, he,
0: what he said felt get... true to, what he said to me felt true to star wars it did not feel true no, to the graduate or a little Man's sunshine okay but it but it felt, what, are, what are you saying
1: it felt untrue to me it's because he speaks in terms of failure he says that the climax of star wars is a bunch of failures like he says oh there's a moment of despair when vader says i have you now because there's an external failure. We feel the rebels are going to, totally going to be destroyed. So that's the external failure. There's the emotional failure. Oh, I don't have any great destiny. I'm just another schmo is going to get blown up just like everybody else. I should have listened to Uncle Owen. And there's a philosophical failure of like the selfishness is vindicated. You know, Hansel was right. I shouldn't have done this mission that Luke has failed externally, internally, and philosophically. And that art goes out of his way. To put it explicitly, at this moment of I have you now, there is no positive outcome possible. But when you watch this movie, you don't feel that Luke has failed at that moment. There's something quite final about that word failure that does not match what is happening. When I was rewriting my climax, I was thinking, okay, what if my hero experiences failure externally, internally, and philosophically? But that's wrong because that's not what happens. Those values are in extreme crisis at this moment. They could go either way. But it's not a failure yet. We don't feel that Luke is failing at that moment. We feel he's very close to his goal, that other forces are at their highest to keep him from that goal. But we don't process it as a failure. And that's why this video is misleading. When he says, you you need to make it feel like your hero has gone to the end of their ability and still fallen short. That's what he says in the video. I would say everything is true up to and still fallen short. I would say, and then it's up to God. Like a moment of grace, like I've said in a previous podcast. Uh, um, so, huh. uh, how do you? Go it all from, comes back. He says, "Like, how do you go from total failure to total success by a decisive act?" And that enacts the underdog values of the story. And, and all of these values get overturned, but not whether it's in Star Wars, whether it's in The Graduate, or whether it's in Little Miss Sunshine. We do not feel like the hero has failed at that point in any sense well, we just and, feel hold on, the let me one last clause we feel that the values are in extreme crisis but we don't feel
0: that they failed i mean i would certainly think in the graduate you feel that it's failed like he makes a very good case for the graduate like it's great in the graduate as he points out that they actually have gotten married elaine has married the makeout king and the music is played and she has kissed him this is not something where He has to stand up and go, you know, does anybody have any objections before these two get married? Like he is too late and he is told you are too late. Now, you can make the case that in Star Wars, you really don't have that too late moment or in A Little of Sunshine. But he makes a very good case for The Graduate. You know, I guess it's I'm not sure if what you're saying is a significant disagreement. No, it's utterly
1: I can tell you why it's a significant disagreement because I just lived it. I tried to write ah I tried to recraft the ending of the thing that I'm working on based on this idea of he fails this way, he fails this way, and he fails that way. And there is something absolutely final about the idea of failure that will fuck up your climax. You can't have them fail at the moment. You could put their values in extreme crisis, but you
0: can't I mean, have obviously them fail in some. In some cases, they totally fail. Certainly Raiders of the Lost Ark, he totally fails. <laughs> like, I well, mean, hold, he on, is... hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you <laughs> blithely say that, what do you mean? Oh my god, how could he have failed less in Raiders of the Lost Ark? He, he has lost the Ark. He has set down his bazooka. He has been tied up to a post with the girl. He does not have any hidden weapon up his sleeve. He does not have any, you know, there no one is coming to rescue him. Like it is, I mean, obviously there are examples. That's an extreme example. We talk about but the ending of that movie don't too much.
1: Feel Because we know him, we just don't believe that he's failed. Like we know that he's an <laughs> he's <in> extreme <laughs> disagree. crisis, but we're not saying, well, I might as well get up out of my seat now because that guy has failed. And, and you know, yeah. this movie is over. The, 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 there's really no more to see here. Uh, um, it it kind of reminds me, I was a very naive child. Have I ever told you about this? And every year, I don't know. my parents would go, <coughs> my parents would take me every year to see a community theater production of A Christmas Carol. And we'd go and see A Christmas Carol, and if we get to the end of Act One, and I'd be like, my God, Scrooge really does not have the Christmas spirit. I have no, they're going to have to change the ending this time. I have no <laughs> idea how he's going to, he is so mean. I have no idea how he's going to be the Christmas spirit this year. And then at the end of the play, I'd be like, son of a bitch, I did it again. <laughs> I don't know how they did it but I remember that happening more than once I was like I really don't see how they could do it
0: um, and well your your 92nd Newberry Film Festival had a Scrooge theme this year so yeah, uh, okay. you I can clear, I can see it stayed with you you uh stage productions <laughs> of Scrooge or what you're all about
1: these days I guess as a child i believed that Scrooge would have failed but i did not believe that that was the end of Luke i do not believe that was the end of Indy right. an extreme crisis is different than failure i would say it <laughs> i would say you know what he meant that's what no, he meant no okay, no no I, I say that words mean something and I say that when he says, um, "God," what, what he he actually says in his video, he he puts in it all caps on the screen: "No positive outcome possible." And that is yes, not no how I That's felt at that point of Star Wars. I felt I, hoping against hope, I think he could pull it out. I feel that way again in, in *Raiders of the Lost Ark*. I feel that way in *Little Miss Sunshine*. I feel that way in *The Graduate*. Hoping against hope. I think he can pull this out. But I mean, but it's great if you
0: can, the furthest you can push it is the best. Like if you can really go like, oh my gosh, that moment that he is saying of no positive outcome possible, it is a good idea to remind people that don't have Ben interrupt her just before she says, I do have him interrupt after she says, I do. And that's a whole dramatic. that's very, very as as he makes clear, that's very thematically powerful because the theme of the movie is rules versus feelings. Mm-hmm. And their marriage can't be a case of, oh, we're gonna choose instead of this wedding going forward, we're gonna choose love. It has to be the case where like she is now married to the make-out king. Mm-hmm. She is now married to him and has kissed him, and it is really against the rules. She really has to choose feelings over rules if she is breaking the vows of her marriage if there is now a vow she is breaking and i thought that was a great point
1: i i i just i feel i I mean as somebody who i have labored and been punished by your rules and then i (laughs) was punished by arts rules and i almost James, i think that you
0: need to take a more laid-back attitude to these rules to
1: oh rules, i'm sorry to when rules. somebody gives advice i take it seriously I no you should not you should
0: not way. as with all advice it can mislead you if you try to apply it to stories where it shouldn't apply or if you try to take some words literally that he might have overstated and you were led astray because you said, okay, I literally have to do what he literally just said. Whereas I think that what he was saying is you should make it as extreme as possible for your story, but do not go too far. It's always a problem when you give advice because how many asteris, asterisks do you want to include? <laughs> and how often you go like, but not all the time, but not necessarily, but. Don't take it too far, but do not. And he talks about that. He, he has a lot of flop sweat in the video where he talks about like, this is not a one size fits all rule. This is not formulaic. This is yeah, not, right. you know, I mean, he's he's talking, very, he, he, will, he includes little animations of himself right. getting strung up by a pitchfork wielding mob for saying things that are saying things are well, too no, he does universally what do, applicable is, that aren't.
1: Like I love. That thing you do. I think it's a great movie. I think you should talk about it sometime. It does not follow this idea of how the crisis, the climax should be. I love the book, The Golden Compass. Uh, It does not follow this at all. I just watched the movie with my girls. They're outraged by the movie. But the movie does not have any sense of a climax. The movie is a... Oh,
0: well, they just lopped off the climax of the
1: book because it was too horrific.
0: And then they didn't replace it with anything.
1: Right, right. Uh, um, and and so the climax is just like a big battle which is like the worst like everybody just thinks if you put a big battle at the end then everything will be fine but here's where I think Arndt's advice comes into contact with mine is that instead of saying failure say it's all in crisis at that moment and then say like i've said earlier now it's the moment of grace now the universe decides god decides you know which way it's going to go
0: yeah i wonder what arnt would say if we played him our previous episode we did about moment of grace he talks about the kamikaze moment of committal and when you did your moment of grace episode it would talked about how the hero has to have a moment of grace where he sort of throws himself vulnerable to the universe leaves himself vulnerable to the universe and I would say those are very similar ideas. I think he would probably love that episode of ours. And I would say that you can see that his idea of the Kamikaze moment of commitment is a similar idea.
1: I mean, and I, here's the thing. I, I love Little Miss Sunshine and I love it more than you do, I think. Yeah, you do. And I think it is, it's great. Like there's, he says even about his, he seems to misunderstand his own fucking movie.
0: Like he, he says, he does. He says with, with
1: Little Miss Sunshine, when Olive walks out on stage, he says, You want your audience going, no, no, don't do it. You want your audience going, stop, stop. But that's not how I feel. I feel like I want Olive to go out there and fuck them all up somehow. And he says, you want it to feel like Olive is doomed. She's going to lose. She's going to be humiliated. It's going to be the worst thing ever. No positive outcome possible. Oh God, he says that again. Nothing, no positive thing possible. But that is not how we feel. We are hoping against hope for it all to work out. Even against all odds, it's not an experience of failure. It's an experience of extreme crisis. When it turns around and says, "You know the the woman who runs the the beauty pageant," she says, "What is your daughter doing?" And Greg Kinnear uh, says, "She's kicking ass. That's what she's doing." We feel it, but we feel it as a fulfilled promise. This is a movie. We know that she's going to get past this crisis, and this is how she does it. I, I don't feel <laughs> that like th- there's an emotional failure of a, a, Olive will be humiliated. Olive and Richard, her father's relationship will be hurt. There's family shame.
0: Yeah, I disagree on *Luna Sunshine*. I think that he does a very good job in *Luna Sunshine*. I mean, we've been looking at all these other girls doing their routines. We know that Olive is not does not look like a beauty queen cannot do anything like the talents of the other girls we have seen a character who we trust paul dano like take a look at everybody and go like uh no i should get out of here and we agree with him when he's like no they are gonna laugh at her she's gonna be humiliated she should not be out there and she goes out there and you know it's funny he keeps comparing his movie to star wars and it's rather impolitic of himself to go like these are two examples of insanely great endings like I would not, and he, to be fair, he does say that his movie is not as good we, as we, The That Resur- is not fair Wars, to him,
1: because he, he, like he, he says, won an Oscar. look, I looked at these other movies, I tried to figure out what made them work, here's how I tried right. to apply to my own work. That's fair.
0: But he sets out, it's fair, but one of the things that's going on in his movie is that we are afraid that she is going to do a great job, because then it would be a lame movie.
1: <laughs> and I never thought that. I never thought she she'd is, do a good job. Okay,
0: go on. I'm like, I think he is playing with audience expectations. He is making a somewhat postmodern movie where you're like, you're set up to go like, oh, and then it turns out that, you know, because we haven't seen her routine, we don't know what her grandfather choreographed for her. And what if she ends up doing a great job and winning the whole competition? And that was my number one fear when I got to that point in the movie. is like going, oh, this is going to turn out to be a stupid movie in which she does a great job and wins the competition. And so that was a very sort of postmodern, out of my head, in my head. That was pretty much a postmodern, in my head, instead of feeling stuff with my harder gut moment. And then he comes up with a very clever solution, which is that she gives a performance that is incredibly profane and uncomfortable. You know, and, it's not profane. You know, it's, 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 it's weirdly it's, innocent. Like gives it is it's very it's very cleverly calibrated that way where you know she manages to even though she gives a very sexually inappropriate performance Abigail Breslin does an amazing performance in that movie and she sells it as still being something that Olive can do innocently although
1: it's something that is very offensive to most people. Well, they who are do watching some it. kind of camera tricks which it seems that she's ripped off her top and then we see yeah. everybody's reaction shot. And then it turns around, we see that she hasn't done that.
0: Right. Oh, and I should say, or what I was going to say before, is to his credit, he never points out that he won an Oscar for this, which was his first produced screenplay, <laughs> and he <laughs> could have pointed that out. So it's good that he didn't. But I feel like he threads the needle well, but I was always aware that he was threading the needle. I felt the heavy hand of the screenwriter on the screenplay at all times, and I felt like, oh, I can see how the writer cleverly got out of that trap he had put himself in. And okay, all right, I'll go with this. Fine. Right, I'll accept this. It's fine, and I think that's one reason why he won the Oscar is because I think that you watch that movie and you're thinking about the screenwriting. I think he won an Oscar for the same reason that Juno won an Oscar because you watch Juno and you're going like, "Oh, who wrote this? What a clever screenplay! This is I, you know, she wrote this really well." know the I time you about the writer, and
1: maybe a bunch of like about ten thousand sickos who live in Hollywood think that way. But like, like most people don't think that way. And a lot of people love these movies.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Well, I mean, obviously it won an Oscar and it, it made a lot of money and it's a great movie. I enjoyed that movie. You know, I would not show it to my
1: kids. I I don't think you can say (laughs) that these movies owe their success to this kind of insider screenwriter cleverness you know what i mean no, like i think it was it, it's There's oscar, a lot of sure clever that. insider screenwriter clever movies right but you or see or.
0: what i'm saying you see what i'm saying about how like those were both first time screenplays that won a best original screenplay oscar and i feel like sometimes that oscar you know people always say like they don't give the best actor oscar to best acting they give it to most acting and they don't give edling to best editing they give it to most editing and That is true to a certain extent with the screenplay Oscar as well. They don't give it to best screenwriting. They give it to most screenwriting, not in terms of the longest screenplay, but in terms of the most written screenplay. And I feel like it was a good movie. It felt very written to me. And I think that that called attention to itself. But and I feel like he makes a lot of the same points I make. And one of the points he makes is you can't apply these rules going forward. You can only apply these rules going backward. You can only use them for revision when something isn't working. And I think that's a very good point. That's a point I make in my book as well. But I do feel like Little Miss Sunshine was written too much forward using these rules. I feel like my biggest problem with Little Miss Sunshine is that the grandfather dies and they don't cancel the trip. (laughs) And the grandfather dies, is taken to the morgue They're told they can't, of course, leave town while their grandfather is in the morgue. And they're like, no, we're going to do it. It's this big stand up and share moment where they're like, we're going to we're going to steal the corpse, sneak out the window, stuff the corpse into the trunk. The Coen brothers would have played that moment as the deranged moment it was. And I processed it as deranged. That is
1: I feel like it is this is officially screwed up by the time they do that. Both my daughters are like, turn this off. Like, this is too crazy. I can't believe they're doing this to their grandpa. I, oh my God, he's <laughs> yeah. going out the window. It's very instructive to watch this with an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old because they're not going to be thinking about like, uh, a little bit overwritten and their monocle falls, <laughs> their swaths.' They're, they're simply having a, an emotional reaction to what's going on. And they, they were like, this is too nuts. By the end, they were totally on board, but there was like five minutes but- in which they were like thinking about their own grandpa. And thinking, I wouldn't want him to go out a window. I would not
0: want that to happen. But I feel like it's like you watch it and you're like, okay, was he making a point about that? Or was he just going like, okay, Star Wars works. Let's do Star Wars. Let's have a mentor. And let's have the mentor get killed at that exact same point in the movie that he gets killed in Star Wars and the the mentor dies in Little Miss Sunshine. And just as in Star Wars, you know, Star Wars is one of these movies where you watch the movie 50 times and then you go like, wait a second, how long a period does this movie take place over? Like 48 this, hours. <laughs> like 48 hours or something like that. And like, man, so like Obi-Wan just died. But it's even more extreme. Like little Miss Sunshine literally takes place over 48 hours. Like the notion that this little girl is going to process her grandfather's death in time to give this stand-up and chair performance is ludicrous. And unless she is just completely off her rocker nuts at this point, unless this is how she processes grief, is just like the grief just transmutes into adrenaline in her system. And like I said, I think Abigail Breslin gives an amazing performance, but that's asking a lot of an eight-year-old actress. (laughs) And I find it unconvincing in the movie. And I worry after seeing this video that he was like, "Oh, I am making a very weird mirror version of Star Wars," and so it made too much sense to him that the mentor dies. I feel like if the mentor, I feel like if he'd gotten arrested, that would have made, that would have worked better. I feel like
1: there's I various. It, you, I feel here's like, why I disagree because. When they have to steal the grandfather's body from the hospital, that's when the father is finally all in. And that's when he kind of abjures his... That's Actually, that's when the the family, who is all despairing at that point, they need what the father can give. And the father is like, we're going to win no matter what. And at that point, they are all reasonable people, like you and me, and like you having your reasonable reaction to this. Oh, people shouldn't... You know, they, number one, people are much more multivariant than what you're giving them credit for. People could, they could go on several tracks at once. If Somebody's grandfather could die and they can go ahead and give the performance of a lifetime. That, that's one thing. Number two is that the father has nothing positive to give to this family up to that point. But what they need is grit. None of, nobody in that family has grit. And they think, I'm gonna I'm gonna go through it. Even everything everything is good going against me. I'm gonna make this fucking happen. I, I'm gonna force it if I have to. And they need him at that point. If he was just arrested or this or that, it wouldn't work. And they have to. He, and he is doing. He's demonstrating grit also against his own values, against any kind of respectability. And he has this don't give a fuck energy because he's lost that book deal, and so he's experienced his crisis. And so he, he's free to be like this kind of person. I think it's great that he died and it would have sucked if he hadn't. All right. I didn't really go for it in the theater. I feel like the Cohen
0: brothers could have pulled it off. I didn't really buy in the theater. And then when I saw this video, I'm like, I'm not sure you're making the case you're trying to make because I think that you're saying like, oh, it worked in Star Wars. It worked in my movie. And I'm like, eh, I think that you are betraying the fact that you were overly influenced by Star Wars. But anyway, that was my that was my feeling on that.
1: You remind me of like George Lucas's original idea of Ben Kenobi is that he just gets wounded by Darth Vader. Oh, really? And then it's, and then it's oh, it's uh, okay. Well, that's more realistic. It's not so bad. And, oh, then he could actually get on the radio and tell Luke, <laughs> to use the force. And that, that's more realistic. That makes more sense.
0: You're saying this actually happened? You're saying that Th- was no, actually that's, the original
1: that, w- that was the original idea. Um, oh my gosh. Um, yeah. Which is, shitty and it's like oh well, maybe, oh, you know what then we don't have to do all this stuff of a ghost voice talking to luke and that would have sucked you're wrong the grandfather had to die sad as it makes us feel yeah okay. i remember in the order of Oddfish, my novel towards the end i did not have the mentor character die and then i was like oh you know i should have her die and then she i made her die and my wife pleaded with me she said Don't have her die. Oh my God, no, no. And I realized when she was pleading with me not to have her die, that's why I knew she had to die because it's going to have an emotional reaction and it's something that you can't go back to. Plot is all about irreversible actions and somebody dying is irreversible. uh, Somebody getting thrown into jail, especially somebody who's old, you know, and he doesn't give a fuck anyway, that's reversible. You get him out of jail. It's fine. Plot has to be about irreversible actions. Ben Kenobi has to die Alan Arkin has to die these people have to die
0: all right I you know I think you've I think there's a case being made
1: I just know that was a good movie and my, my girls loved it and I, I I loved it enough that even like 15 or however many years after it came out I still wanted to show it to them and I still loved it 15 years later and that means that it is an insanely great ending because how many movies 15 years later do you want to watch again right. a little bit of sunshine was that kind of movie I'm not going to go see fucking Mary Riley again you know, <laughs> I, I,
0: you know, it's always hard when you're making this argument to come up with an example of a forgettable movie because they're by their very nature forgettable. But Mary Riley, I'm going to give you props on that <laughs> job coming up with the Mary name Riley. of a forgettable movie from around that time. Mary very Riley. good
1: job. Yeah, it is a, a good movie. I mean, obviously, it's in my mind because I watched Arnt's video. But maybe it's a great advertisement for his movie. Maybe he's setting it up for the greater Little Miss Sunshine universe that he's going to (laughs) unveil.
0: (laughs) Yes. Uh, Eventually, we're going to have the three Little Miss Sunshine prequels, and we're going to have the three sequels, and we're going to have the spinoff movies. It's going to be great. Sunshine! I mean, one thing that Arndt does, that is another thing that anybody who talks about guru-type things does, is you have to sort of twist it in order to make things fit. In some ways that's good. Like, so he talks about mentors. And obviously you have a very clear mentor character in Star Wars, a very clear mentor character in Limited Sunshine. But it's interesting that he uses this one of these three examples, the graduate, where the graduate has no mentor. And as he says at one point, Ben's mentor is his feelings. And yeah. on the one hand I'm like, okay, well, you know, this proves your thing does work. I'm like, I'm not sure actually. It sort of proves this thing does work because he's willing to say, like, you know, like, I'm not going to hammer everything into fit. Or First of all, I'm not going to cherry pick examples that prove my point. I'm going to find ones that, you know, might seem to disprove my point point. go like, no, he is listening to his feelings in the same way that Olive listens to her grandfather even after he's gone, and the same way that Luke listens to Obi-Wan even after he's gone, that I was like, at first I thought that was an example of him, of a problem in the video. I'm like going, no, I think that may actually be for the best. I'm going to go ahead and give that to him.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's good. It shows uh, confidence in in your scheme when you kind of can admit when it fails. Um, and yeah. What if he says that Ben's mentor is his feelings, that feels like when they're trying to desperately save the Ptolemaic system by talking about the <laughs> cycles and eccentrics, you know, like, um, I, I wish he hadn't done that. I just I wish he said, Oh, well, there's no mentor here. It's right. better to do it that way.
0: But I think, I don't know. I think he kind of sells me in that. But so my... <laughs> I mean, I feel like one of the main things, though, that he is not dealing with, at one point he explicitly says, these are all innocent, non-flawed heroes who are redeemers of their universes. They represent the underdog values, and they then redeem their universes and teach their universes to support underdog values. And so he says, you know, that Ben follows his feelings instead of following the rules. And then he teaches everybody to follow their feelings instead of follow the rules. And he shows them how it can be done. And you know, Luke believes in community and he shows everybody how to do that. And Olive believes in fun instead of instead of winners and losers. You know, it's a matter of fun and how you play the game. And I feel like, so we've already talked about how I think that the degree to which Olive redeems her universe by being banned for life from this universe pageant is a little bit exaggerated. I feel like she is a somewhat flawed heroine more than he is admitting You know, she's someone who is, of course, at first, she's obsessed with winning pageants. She's obsessed with beauty pageants in the first place. She is someone who has been sexualized by these pageants to a degree to which Arndt isn't really dealing with. And she is someone who does not see how problematic, certainly does not see how problematic her grandfather was in ways that will probably mess her up for life. A lot of things in this movie will probably mess her up for life, especially stealing her grandfather's body and then so that she could perform at a pageant.
1: But okay, fine. Soldiers at eight years old, they turn out fine. (laughs)
0: they turn out fine right but so then but i feel like the main problem here is ben ben braddock and the graduate is a terrible person he is just an awful person throughout all this he shows him on this date with elaine where you know he takes elaine on a date to a strip club and then she points out well gee i'm not enjoying this and then he takes her out for burgers But he is really not. And it talks about they have this aria where they talk about the importance of feelings over rules and how they find they bond. I don't believe they really bond. I don't believe. I believe that she is basically terrified of this guy. I think she is basically terrified of him the whole movie and remains terrified of him at the end, as we see in the amazing final shot. I feel like. The graduate, the whole point of the graduate is the final shot, which of course happened because Mike Nichols forgot to yell cut. Oh, you your
1: inside was, baseball coming out again. I
0: feel like it's one of the all-time greatest shots in filmmaking. <laughs> and it happened. I think that I mean, I think that Nichols was crazy like a fox. And I think that Nichols knew on some level, even though he says, Oh, I just forgot to yell cut, and so I kept the camera going until the elation fell off their faces, and they sort got this look of like, now what? And of course, it's always been seen as this great joke that the actors were really going, now what? Like, what are we supposed to do? You haven't told us what to do next. But it was really sort of this attack on the 60s, attack on the heavy generation, attack on the baby boomer generation. Like, okay, you, know, you may tear it all down and you may start all over and you may replace us, but then what? And of course, the answer is Reagan. And <laughs> they... And you can totally see how Ben would eventually vote for Reagan. <laughs> someone who is following his gut and not following his head, and pretending to follow his heart, but he doesn't have a heart. He He's is selfish. Not a per- he is a very selfish person. He does not really love Elaine. Well, that whole fucking doesn't generation really is selfish. I can't
1: wait for them all to die. Like they, the, they've kind of run the whole country into the ground. Yeah, they're all Ben Braddocks. and, and <laughs> they're all Ben Braddocks. And but like, I didn't see this movie until later in my life, like post college, and I've always hated it. Like, the, I, it, I don't really. It's a get off film. on this it's movie. One of at all. the it's one
0: of the all time. It's one of the all time great films. I don't like it. I, I, I don't like it. I, I don't
1: like anything. Like as a Midwesterner, anything about like the kind of like coastal elites rubs me the wrong way so i hate movies about people in new york even as a child i hated like from the mixed up files miss basilie frankweiler because i was like who are these kids kids?" (laughs) like who the fuck do they think they are why does every single book happen in new york city why should i care about joan didion talking about fucking sacramento for like 50 pages like there's other parts of the country i don't care about you Uh, um and like and this was very much part of that for me And I also hate Harold and Maude. Okay, Harold and Maude is literally my
0: all-time favorite film. But I feel like Arndt could not be more misreading this movie. And to describe, he says Benjamin Braddock is innocent, non-flawed redeemer of his universe. I think that he is the opposite of innocent, he is the opposite of nonflaud, and he is the opposite of a redeemer of his universe. I think that Arnt is right and that he is tearing down the rules and he is tearing down this world and he is exposing the hypocrisy. Certainly he exposes the hypocrisy of all the adults in the film. He certainly does that but oh my god what is he replacing it with which is what the final shot says which is selfishness he not...
1: and vacancy
0: <laughs> selfishness and vacancy and loveless marriages talk about a classic california divorce in the brewing <laughs> this is, you know this is i mean i feel like this is a great film but i also feel like if you look at paul Mazursky's films which i feel like are these wonderfully underrated films and i feel like masersky was ultimately a better filmmaker than nichols i think there's a direct connection between these values about the beginning of a marriage and then masersky's films like bob and carol and ted and alice About where these couples end up. And so the question is if Arndt is getting that wrong, does that affect Arndt's point? And also, with Olive and Little Miss Sunshine not seeing how essentially screwed up Olive is in many ways in his own movie, then. But she's not screwed up. She, okay. Right? (laughs) I mean, she's
1: not. You may may, may make a good point. She might be screwed up later. Like at that point, she's the most sane person among them. I mean, she might be crazy but she's totally sane. You know what I mean? She's doing a nutty thing, but she has her head screwed on straight and she's like, she's enacting the values that we want her to enact. Olive is kind of a cipher in the movie. Everybody else has a character. She's just uh, almost like a bomb waiting to go off at the end. Uh but everybody we else... don't know that.
0: We have not been warned about how inappropriate her routine is. So we are shocked when we find out, which is great. That's a great moment. Right. We're expecting her to try her little heart out and try to be like the other girls. And then she doesn't,
1: but which is great. Every you know, single other like... character has their epiphanies and has their kind of arcs, but she just kind of doesn't do much right in the movie well it's interesting
0: blows up what i think another thing is he's sort of not fair enough to little miss sunshine because obviously the terrible way to do little Miss sunshine is everybody in the family has something horrible happen to them richards self-help Book deal falls through. Frank identifies himself as being the world's number one Proust scholar. He not only loses his boyfriend to another Proust scholar, but then that Proust scholar is identified in a newspaper ad as now being the number one Proust scholar in the country. And Dwayne, the <laughs> brother, finds I, that's out that like so can't... ridiculous. Like, and it, it is... is, it's funny. <laughs> 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 it's, it's ridiculous in a funny way But so the terrible version of this movie Would be where Richard is then inspired To fix his book deal or Frank Then figures out how to win the guy Back and become the number one Bruce Scholar, Or Dwayne figures out a way to become a pilot After all but I think He is right that she is the redeemer Of her universe in terms Of that in that he, he Has all of these it's really an ensemble Film he talks about all of in his video but it's really An ensemble film and All the other members of the ensemble fail and are not and do not come back. They do not have any way to come back and save themselves. And it's really sort of Christ-like in that they can only be saved by Olive, only by Olive sacrificing herself um, and doing such a titanically bad performance that she's banned from pageants for life, but enjoying herself and showing people how to enjoy themselves even when they don't uh, have what it takes to win this contest. That then, that is the only redemption the other characters get. The other characters do not get a chance to turn their lives around and do anything better with their lives. Yeah, I always just wonder what movie. happens in
1: the next day with, with this movie. <laughs> I gotta think get the, home. Get it is... They still have this car that doesn't work. Uh, the grandfather is right. still dead. Uh, um, they still work. The pilot. They still have money problems. They, you, they're probably going to get in trouble with the law. The law is going to catch yes. up to them about like what they did with the grandfather.
0: Yeah, I feel like Luke is a redeemer of his universe. She is a redeemer of everybody but herself in her universe. You know, she literally is Christ-like. She dies on the cross. She dies on stage. No, 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 no. she's happy with what she did. Cross. She thinks she is happy. She thinks that yeah, she I mean, kicked yeah. ass and she did. It's not clear how she feels about being banned for life from competing, but I guess all she's only banned she life wanted from was to please her California. dad.
1: All she wanted was to yeah. please her dad.
0: I guess that's true. That's all she really wanted was to please her dad and show her dad she could be a winner, and she showed her dad in an ironic way that she could be a different type of winner. And uh, yeah, you know, you're talking me into this movie. It's a good movie. It is a
1: good yeah, movie. Holy shit, man! I mean, like, give give it to Art. I mean, and he wrote a great Toy Story three. I mean, and I'm sure whatever was good about Force Awakens was probably due to him.
0: I love Toy Story 3, and I think that Toy Story 3 was so good that Toy Story 4, therefore, had no right to exist because it— I haven't seen uh, Toy Story
1: 4 for that very reason.
0: It's true. Uh, You know, and Toy Story 4 is really good. I've seen it twice. Oh, wow. But— each time I've seen it, you know, I've got kids, but I've got kids who don't watch Little Miss Sunshine. I've got kids who actually watch age-appropriate films like Toy Story 4. And My girls have seen Toy Story 4, but not with me. And both times that I saw Toy Story 4, I'm like, yeah, that's really good, but it's not good enough to justify its existence mm. because Toy Story 3 should have been the end of it. But yeah, you're winning me around to that. And yeah, he's done a lot of rewrite work. He seems to have done a very good job on, but I still feel like the movie is i don't want to go into a finale of a movie going like uh, oh, this is gonna suck like this not like not like this is gonna suck for the actor but this is gonna suck for me matt bird in the audience watching this movie <laughs> because it's gonna be stupid
1: oh okay and- so wait so maybe there's a fourth category at a certain point in the script there is the internal emotional failure there's the external failure of like the the visible stakes there's a philosophical failure and there's also the postmodern meta failure of like, <laughs> is this going to suck? Is <laughs> this, this is going to suck? Because if somebody made Star Wars now, and like <laughs> Luke is going down, he's zooming down, and like, could he get away with blowing up the Death Star? Different action movies have found different ways of getting around it. Like, uh, like we've mentioned this before, but in Guardians of the Galaxy, like Chris Pratt doing a dance. You know, like it kind of subverting expectations.
0: Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy is
1: an example of, oh, is this going to be really dumb? And then it's saved by
0: by him doing the dance.
1: If you try to write a story that is going to work as a story, it's, it has to work on its own terms. And if you also try to satisfy these meta stakes, that's going to force it to be something shitty uh, and, and too meta. Well, or it's going to be predictable if you don't if you don't mind that those things at all
0: and that's one of the reasons I don't like The Last Jedi, is I feel like The Last Jedi is very much a comment on stories. I feel like it is very much I a... I I feel like The Last Jedi is something where it's like, oh, you have all these narrative expectations because you saw The Force Awakens, which went on to be the most successful American release of all time, and... I am going to mess with your expectations and you're going to spend the whole movie thinking about Ryan Johnson and Ryan, you're going to be like oh you know there's a there's I'm watching an epic clash between two forces in the universe known as JJ Abrams and Ryan Johnson and in the first movie JJ Abrams was on top and in the second movie Ryan Johnson defeated JJ Abrams but wait here comes the third movie in which JJ Abrams comes back and crushes this Ryan Johnson all in the end shit
1: that you important to the movies from reading Twitter too much. Like the Ryan Johnson made a good movie that was, that would stay true to who Luke was, which is a pacifist. And the final action that he did, which is awesome was a like, fundamentally pacifist action. No,
0: it, no, no, no. I agree with you on that. But the whole concept of like, oh, you know, now it's time to answer the big mystery of who your parents are, which was not a big mystery. She was not at a, no point in the first movie. Did she say like, I must solve the mystery of who my parents were? No, she, she cared was only very much. Audience. She kept
1: saying, I'm waiting for my parents. I have to go back to Jakku because yes. my parents are going to come for me.
0: Yes, but she did not... In the first movie go like i'm gonna solve the mystery of my hidden parentage she never had well, any sort of
1: she was stupid you get but like, everybody subtle
0: everybody who saw the movie was like oh what is going to be the big mystery of her hidden parentage that was something that was going yeah, on. and ryan johnson audience. gave the
1: best possible answer which is yes, nobody.
0: he gave the best possible answer to the fans it wasn't the best possible answer to ray because this was not ray's question it was the fans question and he was talking to the fans he wasn't talking to ray no i disagree
1: that's something you brought into it you're like luke skywalker going to the cave and i'm like yoda saying Luke's like, what's in there? And I'm like saying, just whatever the fuck you bring in there, Matt. And you're going in there with all the shit you read on Twitter. And and, and then like, and then you come out saying, you oh, Ryan meant this on... and, and JJ meant that. But that's all in your mind. That's not in the you physics are of the story. On, you are
0: on Twitter, James. I have never, literally, ever been to Twitter. Do you know why? Because I'm not Trump. And that's why I've never been to Twitter. <laughs> You. So I'm just bringing up, you were saying... That I feel like it is a problem with Little Miss Sunshine that he has to overcome resistance, and assumption that maybe this movie will turn out to be bad. And ideally, you do not set up a situation where the audience is even thinking that. I certainly think it's a but problem with that, Last Jedi. But isn't but
1: that inevitable now? Do people watch movies in such a self-conscious true. way that you have to take that into account?
0: It is. It is something that you have taken into account. And I think is that, is that Ryan Johnson. Thing. And I think that in Ryan Johnson's next film he did just a wonderful job i think that ryan johnson in knives out was very much going like okay what are your narrative expectations and this is i feel like the hero of knives out was ryan johnson that he was saying like oh i this very clever screenwriter i'm going to write this very clever screenplay that is going to constantly be toying with your narrative expectations and the primary conflict of this movie is going to be me versus you the writer director of this film versus your narrative expectations and i thought it was great i well, most people probably had no idea who wrote or directed the movie, but I think everybody who watched Knives Out was very much aware of their own reaction to the movie as they were watching it. I think the movie only works that way. I think that the movie only works where you're like, oh, it's a genre switch. That is usually alienating, but in this case, it's thrilling. And I think that he is a very, very postmodern director. Brick, his first film, was a very, very postmodern film. And I think that postmodernism can be great when it works. I think that it worked... Okay, and Brick, I think it worked great in Nimes Out*. I don't think it worked in *Last Jedi*, but I think we've gotten Just too far afield of, um, of our. We've gotten too far afield of our basic uh, topic. So, let's go ahead and wrap up on art. Is there any final thing you want to say on art?
1: On art? Oh, uh, art. art. Uh, <laughs> on art in general. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think what he provides is an excellent. I think every storyteller should definitely watch it. And I think they shouldn't be too influenced by it because of his terminology is misleading. I think yeah. if, if they watched it and they replaced total failure by values in crisis, it would be much more helpful. Yeah, I think that we're still expecting our heroes to win. We don't know how it's going to happen. We, we can't see how it could happen. That doesn't mean we are all caps total failure, no positive outcome possible. And that is why I find it misleading. And I think it's very important that these things be properly expressed because otherwise it could lead people astray like it led me astray.
0: Right. Always good to keep in mind. Um, okay. Yeah, it I think as a- anyone...
1: For writers, right? It, it, these are We have to always think of these things in terms of manuals for people who want to do things not uh, uh, like books of mathematics or people who want to analyze things. Yeah,
0: it's very hard. I mean, going all the way back to Aristotle, you know, whether you're describing or proscribing. It's very hard to do just one or the other. It's very hard to go like, okay, now I'm going to describe how things tend to work, and now I'm going to proscribe how I think things should work. And, you know, we even got into this with Maslow last week, like, was Maslow describing or proscribing his hierarchy of needs? Was Elizabeth Kubler-Ross describing or proscribing the stages of grief? And it's very hard to draw that distinction, and it's always tricky when you get to something where it's like, wait a second, are you describing that story send to this thing, or are you telling us that we should do it? And wait a second, I tried to do it, and it didn't work, and it ruined what I was doing. And oh my god, oh my god! And uh, it's, uh, you know, that's that's me imitating James Kennedy running around with his hair on fire in uh, in the way I picture him doing. So, OK, <laughs> so I think everybody should go watch this video. I think it's a great video. I think we've got a good episode here. OK, so that was the audio we recorded a month ago about Michael Arndt. That was the episode. I don't think we have time for a free story idea this episode. So that was it, James. Here we are. Yeah, here we are. We are going to go ahead and release these two episodes out into the world, and then we're going to come back. I think we're going to go ahead and do a follow-up. We're all about the two-part episodes recently. I think we may go ahead and do a follow-up to this art episode. Uh-huh. We've got some exciting things coming up. We've talked about maybe even doing another whole episode based on a free story idea because those keep getting cut, <laughs> but uh, but not your puns. We kept in your puns last episode, which had been cut for years and years and years, and we finally got to- Wait, I've got I've
1: got one for you. Because <laughs> we're not doing a free story idea this this time. We just do no. one, okay? This episode is already an hour long. Well, I I it's just one. It's just one. Just one, okay? Are you All ready? Right. I will cut it, but yes, no, you can No, no no, 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 no. Don't cut it. You have to promise not to cut this, okay? No, well, I absolutely will not promise not to cut it, but you can try. It's about a drunken boat trip. It's in support of a firebrand conservative senator's presidential bid which was sponsored by the star of the Mission Impossible franchise. (laughs) But it was attended by the cast of a beloved 90s children's show, and it turns out they loved it. And it's called Cruises, Cruise, Booze, Cruise, a cruise, blues, clues, crew, coos.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a good one james i think we're just going to turn this into the secrets of story and puns is going to be the name of this podcast
1: it's not good enough the, the, this is like like a very the, it's, a, it's a more recondite art form than a mere pun
0: i think the adjective you're looking for is tortured
1: um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> really the secrets of story and really tortured puns okay james let's go ahead Let's go ahead and wrap up this episode. Cruises cruise uh, booze cruise a cruise blues clues crew cruise. <laughs> we've we've got two good episodes that are in the can. We're gonna release them close to each other. America is gonna be excited and wonderful. We will see you soon, America. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Story podcast. Please subscribe and rate us wherever you found us. Go to SecretsOfStory.com and click on the Secrets of Story podcast in the sidebar to find notes and join the discussion about this episode. Find out about James' novel, The Order of Oddfish, and more at JamesKennedy.com. And hey, if you'd like a free audio copy of that book or my book, sign up for a free trial of Audible at our special landing page, www.audibletrial.com slash SecretsOfStory. We get a few bucks and you get a free book. We're on Twitter at Secrets of Story One and at I Am James Kennedy. Our music is by Hen and Kaim. Our logo is by Jessica Friday. See you next time.